This episode is brought to you by Margie Lamb, health coach and founder of Healthy and Hustlin'. Are you fed up with the dieting and the seemingly contradictory health advice out there? Do you want to feel great in your body and accomplish your goals in a way that's empowering and not overwhelming? For me, the answer was an easy yes. Five years ago, I was pushing 200 pounds. I worked out twice a day and counted my calories. I didn't really see a movement on the scale nor my body type. So I decided to check my ego and call up a health coach. Margie, as a certified integrative nutrition health coach, works with each client as a guide and mentor to build a healthy, sustainable lifestyle that will help you reach your health goals. She offers free one-hour initial consultations. To learn more, visit her website, www.healthyandhustlin.com. That's www.healthyandhustlin, spelled H-U-S-T-L-I-N.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media. Find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. On Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes, iHeartRadio to Spotify. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. What is it like having a cancer diagnosis and then beating it once? And then you come back a period of time later and you get another cancer diagnosis. My name is Wong Lam, your host of Defining Moments Podcast. My name is Margie Lam, the editor and producer of Defining Moments Podcast. Today, our guest David takes you through the first cancer diagnosis and how he beat it. Then he also takes you through the second cancer diagnosis and how he beats it. With the strength of his family and his colleagues and some of his great friends, you're going to find out the true story behind David. David, it was a pleasure getting to meet your wife recently on a phone call that I had with her. I can tell that from that conversation, the strength that you have and the love that you have for your family. So we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. We're rooting you on, man. We believe in you. Welcome back to Defining Moments Podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and today's special guest is a cancer survivor twice the jedi knight of toastmasters my man david willis david welcome to the podcast brother <laughs> thank you i appreciate yeah, that absolutely man so you moved to dallas or around the dallas area for the last three years yeah yeah and we worked at chesapeake for a long time together and i ran into you maybe once or twice and this is the actual official meeting yeah this is you. this is true it will. When we work at a company at one point that had 13,000 people, it's not real hard to uh, <laughs> not get to talk to each other. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, three years ago, I, I had one of those, um, we'll call it a defining moment because <laughs> uh, anybody that works in corporate for a long time can go through a, a bit of burnout maybe. Mm-hmm. And we were working on a certain project uh, that will remain nameless to protect the innocent or whatever. But I rolled up to the office that day and I said a prayer and said, God, 
if they'd give me severance, I'd leave. I'm, yeah. done. I'm done. And two hours later, I got a phone call from one of the IT vice presidents, and he gave me my wish. And it was like, oh, all right, God, you called my bluff. What do I do? And I said, okay. And fortunately, the severance was good enough. Yeah. I went to Starbucks. I had a very large coffee. Called my wife, told her what happened. And then I just reached out to a former manager and said, hey, this is what happened. She says, I know of a company in Dallas that needs somebody that does what you do. I literally applied that day. Three months later, I walked in the door. There you wow. go. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really seamless. It was nice. That's awesome, man. That's very awesome. I like it, how it's seamless. So you said a prayer, got your bluff called, and <laughs> yeah. three years later, you're down in Dallas, Texas. You know, and when you don't know that you need a change, I mean, you can... A lot of times we, we, we grind and we struggle internally because we know yeah. something's not right. And I'm not saying anything was bad in Oklahoma. We loved it there. Uh, we have very dear friends there. Our family's still there. Uh, but we moved down here and it was like, wow, what happened? This, mm -hmm. is, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we, my wife has said she doesn't really ever want to move back to Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we don't feel like we're the ones that made the call to move down here. We think there was a higher power involved. But um, so if that calls us back to Oklahoma, fine. But yeah. uh, love the area that we moved to. We ended up moving into far northwest Fort Worth, okay. which was was a lot of fun. And I, you know, I drive thirty five miles to work each day. That's a little brutal, but it's not so bad. Thirty five miles is a long way. However, how long does it take you in time? Uh, to to when school's not in, about 40, 45 minutes. Yesterday, it took me an hour and five. An hour and five minutes, one way. It did, which Man. was okay because I, I think I talked to my mom half the time. So That's awesome. Yeah. Hi, mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So then now, on the next few drives, you'll probably get a chance to check out your own podcast, your own voice. And yeah. Hear your, That'll be fun. The story. Yeah, because I listened to... Uh, was actually listening to your podcast a little bit on the way in. I'd listened yeah. to the last podcast you did with uh, Marilee. Is that right? Marilee Barone, yeah. Yeah, she killed it. That was great. Fantastic yeah. podcast. Thank you. And really enjoyed that one. So yeah, wanted to get ready and make sure I didn't say anything dumb. No. <laughs> well, yeah. regardless of what you say, it's going to be informative. It's going yeah. to be juicy for knowledge. So I appreciate you taking your time to come on. My pleasure. Yeah. Be great. So how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah. So I actually, I feel really pretty good. I mean, I, so let, let, let's start a little bit with the cancer story. Right. And so, cause that, that'll define why I'm feeling better yeah. than I was. Um, back in 2004, um, which feels like forever ago now, I guess it was 15 years ago, mm -hmm. um, found out that I had testicular cancer. So, um, basically you have a tumor, let's remove the tumor. Um, ended up, it had spread up a little bit into the lymph nodes into my stomach. So I was given two options. I could either have surgery to have the lymph nodes removed, which uh, would affect the ability to have children in the future. Yeah. Or I went to an oncologist. The oncologist told me, hey, there's really like a 95% chance that you'll just be okay with just chemotherapy. And so we went the chemotherapy route. Um, obviously, I have an 11-year-old now, so everything mm. worked out that way. Right. But after about you know, five years of seeing me for follow-ups, he says, you know, really, we feel like you're going to be just okay, so see you later. We don't want to talk to you anymore. And I thought, great, we're going to go on. We're going to be okay. It's going to be fantastic. And unfortunately, I am in the 2% of all people that recur with testicular cancer after 10 years. 
So last January, uh, January wow. of 18, yeah, so fast forward a long time. This was not even on my mind anymore. Yeah. Uh, had a massive pain in my lower back. And to the point that I was laying on my floor of my office at work and just didn't know what it was, hurting, and got up. Um, and they always give you that pain scale of zero to, to yeah. 10. I was at a nine five. I mean, it was that, that bad. That bad. Jeez. And I got on Siri on my phone, said, give me the closest emergency room. I drove to the emergency room. And after they took a CAT scan, they said, you have a 13 centimeter tumor between your kidney and your bladder. And it had completely closed off my left kidney. So, uh, ouch, that's bad. Mm. I said, okay. And automatically my brain went to, okay, what do we got to do next? How do, how do we get past this? Right. I'm even when I had cancer the first time, there's not giving up is not an option. Um, I've got a lot to live for too much to live for. I'm not giving up. Yeah. So the doctor comes in, they did what they needed to do to get my kidney open back up, which was very good. Um, but they can't take it out because it's too big. It's too invasive at that mm. point. So I get referred to an oncologist, um, uh, understand that a blood test is what measures this thing. Okay. And the blood test is supposed to be between zero and six to be normal. I was at 11,400. It was wow. crazy out of control. Dang. So the oncologist gets me started. I went through four rounds of chemotherapy last year. I was actually in the hospital for 28 days. Um, that was so the, yeah, I actually had to go to the hospital for chemotherapy this time. It was an outpatient. And then, um, we're actually, we're in Dallas right now for those of you who uh, want to pull the curtain back. Uh, <laughs> and we're not too far from the hospital that I actually had to have, um, all the lymph nodes removed from my stomach. So wow. I've got one of those wonderful zipper scars and my wife was joking me the other day, told me I needed to get a tattoo of an actual <laughs> zipper off to the side and just mess with people. Yeah. I'm like, I ain't taking my shirt off in front of people. What are you talking about? But well, when you go to the beach, I'll wear a shirt. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyhow, but so after all of that was done, chemotherapy, surgery's finished. Um, I, everything came back. They took a CAT scan, uh, at the beginning of August, all the blood tests were fine yeah. and showed that I had massive uh, masses in my lungs. I had some near my heart. I had them up my esophagus. And so I, my radiology doctor freaked out. Uh, that's all I can say. Yeah, unfortunately, he didn't have great bedside manner that day. And I went back in for another biopsy thinking that I had late stage cancer. Mm -hmm. and I thought it had returned. And it was a very rough time. Ended up being an autoimmune response, granulomas. So oh. my immune system freaked out and started just growing granulomas. So they came back and they said, well, it's not cancer, but we don't know what it is. Well, they ended up calling it uh, sarcoidosis. If you know the comedian Bertie Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mac actually died because of the damage that sarcoidosis had done to his lungs. He got uh, pneumonia. Pneumonia, yeah. And it, he, his lungs were just so scarred that he couldn't, couldn't recover. And so I ended up on medication, um, steroids, not anabolic, but steroids mm. for about five months. And so my body has been through a blender for the last year. But um, 
God has answered my prayers. Yeah. Had a CAT scan uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. Everything was completely clear. Good. Including, I even had the cancer had even spread to my spine. So I had a one inch cubed piece of my L4 spine that had a hole in it. In the middle, not the actual structure. Yeah. And um, that actually didn't even get called out on my last CAT scan. So the bone appears to be healing. So I've gone through chemotherapy, surgery, radiation on my spine, uh, sarcoidosis, all kinds of medicine, and I'm still here. So that means I really believe that there is a greater purpose for me and that I have a story to share and yeah. that I need to get to doing that because I have an opportunity that a lot of people don't have after having gone through such things. Yeah, absolutely, man. You you talk about going through testicular cancer the first time and five years later, because I, I believe what I understand, after five years, you're, if nothing is in your scans or PET scans, et cetera, you're medically like cancer-free. You are. And because these things hang out dormant at the cellular level, uh-huh. you're there's no real way to definitively say that it won't ever recur. Right. But statistically, I mean, you're in the minutia lottery winner kind of statistics at that mm. point to say that everything is probably going to be okay. Yeah. And they've learned in the last, you know, 10 years since I had it the first time, 15 years, whatever, yeah. that really you're being, you're playing a little fast and loose with people's health and with their safety. If you don't at least go in for a routine blood test, mm. Because the blood test is really what tells you, you know, if if you've got that kind of growth in your system, early detection honestly is is the battle because yeah. where some cancers are slow growing, testicular cancer, from my understanding, it is very treatable, but it's also extremely aggressive. Wow. So Lance Armstrong, yep. take, take him for instance. They actually got him in stage four. Um, so it had spread all through his body, it was in his brain. You can look online, you can see pictures where he was going in for surgery to have stuff removed, I believe. Um, and they were able to to do that, treat him. You know, it's been 20 years, I guess, since mm-hmm. he's had his, he's had other issues that we don't need to talk about. But yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, I'm, I told my doctor just last week, I'm like, you know, I don't want to go down. I don't want to go too far out. Let's, I know blood tests. I believe that I'm fine. I believe that I'm here for a reason. I don't think cancer is coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're make extra sure. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking extra no. precaution, man. No. Yeah. So what do you think your purpose is? You talk about your purpose and going to motivate. I've got a short or story to share. So you got a few stories to share. What other stories do you have to share with us? Well, first and foremost, my purpose is to be the best husband I can be to my wife. Uh, Been married to the most awesome person I know for over 20 years. Um, I got married in 99, so Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be 21. She always gets on to me because she's like, okay, it's only 20, not 21 yet. I'm like, I know, but we're on our way. It's going to be good. Yeah. And uh, I have an 11-year-old son who Mm -hmm. I adore. He is amazing. And so first and foremost, my my mission right now is to raise a family, uh, to love my wife with everything that I am. Uh, we have a community of, of friends and family uh, mm-hmm. to be good to them, to love them. Um, I mean, you and I've got common friends up yeah. in Oklahoma City that yeah. uh, you know I think the world of and would do anything for. They're closer than family. Uh, parents, you know, loving them. 
uh, I have a job that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. So obviously I don't work at Chesapeake anymore after yeah. the story that we told earlier, but there's yeah. a different, different company I work for down here that I, I get fired up about what, what I get to do. And people probably think I'm a dork for that because <laughs> I work in a data management role, but Hey, <laughs> data management. Yay. <laughs> anyway, I greater than that though. Um, you know that I'm a Christian Yep. and not getting too far into it because I know that can be a very polarizing subject. I believe that if you strip our faith down to its very core, it's being good to people, loving people, taking mm -hmm. care of people. Um, and unfortunately, you don't see that from a lot of Christian communities today. Mm. Um, it's cutting through all of the hate and the disgust and all of that stuff and meeting people where they are and saying, I'm with you. Uh, you know, I'm one of you. And if I can use my cancer story or use my ability to communicate or anything that I have to lift somebody up, to encourage somebody, to help somebody get better. I was thinking about it on the way in. I mean, if, if the work that I do or the things that I do can help somebody else be successful, yeah. then that's the story that I need to tell from here forward. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And you talk about being a, a Christian, a true believer, and you say it can get polarizing. You don't get in too far into it. However, I respect it. I, regardless of if someone's like, oh, well, I don't know if I firmly believe in Christianity, etc. Mm -hmm. If that's your belief, that's your belief. Mm -hmm. And you have friends that are super big time Christians and you probably have friends that are borderline. Mm -hmm. I have friends that aren't. Too. And, and friends that aren't. I think you know on the head though, at the core of it, it's be kind. Let's hang out. I love you. and Yeah. Do unto others you'd have them do unto you. Love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. So you have to love yourself to love your neighbors. And, you know, a lot of times, um, like I said, we won't get too far down this road. A lot of times <laughs> I really think that people don't know how to love themselves, so they don't know how to be good to other people. Mm. And and I'm not saying love yourself like I, you know, I did when I was a teenager, thinking that I was the best thing in the room. That's yeah. not loving yourself. That's actually really destructive yeah but understanding that i have value that i can share with people the things that i work on the passions the dreams the values that i have are all very good and if their aim is to help people to motivate people to love people then you know they're good and if i'm not violating the the code of conduct or the mm -hmm. ethics that i stand on then you know it's generally a pretty good thing to do yeah yeah what what are a couple of your values and then what are a couple of your dreams couple of my values. Well, I, <laughs> I'm gonna give you one. Okay. This week we actually got a, a package in from Amazon. My wife had ordered a whole bunch of stuff. It was great. She got it in the other night. The very next day, she got the exact same box in with all the same goods in it. And we went, what's hmm. going on here? So obviously you check your bank statement. Great. And you know, the, the question comes up, do you keep it? Well, okay, so I call Amazon, say, hey, guys, this is what happened. I was on the phone with their logistics department. The phone call drops. So the, the, it was funny, the logistics person's laughing because it's like, oh, great. Did we charge you again? Because I had a feeling they were about to just give me the box, right? Yeah. I don't care. So call gets dropped, and I thought, all right, do I let it go? No, this is not my stuff. Yeah. So I call them back up, got somebody completely different that, no, no, you need to send us our stuff back. Okay, whatever. So the next day, we get an email saying, here's your UPS label and all this stuff. We get another email saying, we're really sorry, just keep the box. Okay, hold on a minute. So now I've got 
Amazon conflicting with themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So you're you're in a moral dilemma, right? Yeah. And so part of me, I called my wife up and said, we've got proof says we can keep it. And I said, but however, it's not our stuff. So I'm going to let you make the choice, do what you want to do. And so she just put the UPS label back on it, handed the UPS guy and it goes out the door. And one of my values is I want to be honest. Yeah. I don't want people to be ever be able to come back to me and go, you know, you didn't tell me the truth or you, you colored something in a way to make it seem like it was something that it wasn't. Yeah. Because if you can live transparently with people like that and they know that every time they come to you, they're going to get something raw and real. Even if I'm a jerk, if I live in this way, people are always going to know that at least I'm an honest jerk, which I'm not a jerk. I didn't say that. <laughs> But that, that being said, you know, that, that's a big value to me. But that actually comes from something that my mom told me a long time ago because one day, my wife and I, I mean, we were, I was married even, and my mom got onto me for this. Went to the bank. The bank ended up erroring and giving me 10 bucks. And I'm like, oh, cool, 10 bucks. Yeah. And knowing all the while it wasn't my money, I put it in my pocket and kept going. And I'd mentioned it to my mom. Mom says, go give that back. That is not yours. And I went, I'll never do that again. I just won't do it. So I haven't as far as, as I know. And I, I, I don't want things that are mine. If I have things, I want them because I've either earned them or people have given them to me because mm. they love me, not because I've taken. Yeah. Because I think if we all had that mindset where we don't want to be takers, but we want to make things better where we either give or we work. Yeah. And there's a whole nother probably landmine of things that we could get into about culture. But um, it's better to be, to give than yeah. to receive. So, and uh, I'll, I'll stick with that. Uh, another value, um, is I need to be the kind of husband that I want other guys to be to their wives. And I need to be good to my wife in every way that I can be. I need to put myself, uh, second, a lot of times, even when I don't feel like it, because if I love her consistently, and I love her as much as I feel like she deserves to be loved, which yeah. is with every ounce of what I have. Not only will other people be able to see that, but my son will be able to see that. And there will be another woman in the future that will benefit because of the way I act. Mm. Dreams. Um, well, I dream about being here for a, a long, long time. So yeah. after last year, that is, that's a big one. So we take it a day at a time. I'm working very proactively to get my health back together. Yeah. You should see uh, my counter in my bathroom is packed with vitamin bottles. Oh my gosh. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. But at the same time, I'm really starting to feel like myself again. Good. I was in a brain fog for a long time. And getting to see and teach my son um, the things that he needs to know. We homeschool. Okay. Good. And uh, I'm nothing against the public schools. We just choose to do it a different way. Yeah. So we'll leave it there. But Fair. the the things that we teach him, though, I want to make sure that they're benefiting him in life. Right. So knowing that you're a math guy, you have to be to do the job that I know you do. Uh, you know, there are certain math things that you probably needed to know as a young guy that to develop your skills. Yeah. If he's not wanting to be an engineer or anything of the sort, we're going through some of his math homework today. And I'm like, Okay, first off, I don't like the way you teach it today. This is dumb. You knew math, old math. There's a whole other argument there. But, uh, you know, we're going through going, I've never used this in my life. 
Uh, to the to day, I don't care what the volume of a cone is unless you're putting ice cream in it, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I get cylinders because you got to fill up like oil and gas into, you know, all that, whatever. But anyway, just, just really, really funny. But so I dream of being able to, to teach him the things that he needs to know so that when he walks out of our door to go be self-sustaining that mm. he is a thriver not just a survivor yeah i like that man yeah how do you create a culture uh, well i mean consistency is really the biggest culture creator i mm. think obviously you know my wife and i have got a lot of values and a lot of uh, norms inside of our house that you know we've just set kind of intuitively over the years for what works for our family mm -hmm. and i'll give you for instance we're to this day uh we've never given him kid food off of a kid menu so he gets to develop a palate to understand what real food tastes like so uh -huh. when we eat out um, we actually choose to eat out at restaurants that actually prepare fresh. We don't eat a whole lot of fast food. Uh, I know uh, you're looking at me going, dude, you're huge. Uh, yeah, that doesn't really work. But <laughs> anyway, I'm kidding. But we have chosen over the years to be very purposeful with the way that we teach him about food, with the yeah. way that we teach him about, you know, a lot of different things to the point that he's actually a bit of a foodie himself these days. Mm. Um, he's actually been cooking some things for a while now. I really feel like if he got stuck at home, home alone style for a few days, he could probably take care of himself uh, yeah. um, a whole lot better than that kid on the movie. But anyhow, <laughs> and it wouldn't just be frozen dinners and all this stuff. It would actually be things that are nutritious because he's we're kind of instilling that that in him that it's got to be a lifelong thing. Um, so where I was a video game fanatic. Uh, as a kid, he's a Minecraft fanatic. Okay. But we also have him enrolled like in a Ninja Warrior class. So he does a lot of exercise too. That's so, awesome. So just really trying to be very purposeful about the things that we do in our home. I mean, obviously we're like everybody else. We get tired at the end of the day and we watch too much TV probably. Mm -hmm. um, so we watched Ninja Warrior last night. Yeah, Makes lots sense. Of, uh, lots of fun. Um, but we've got to figure out ways to go from watching things that are inspiring to being inspiring and doing those kind of things ourselves though. So, and I think that's one of the next steps is really helping him do that. But also for me, now that my health is, has come back around. Yeah. I don't want to just be like I was before. I want to be a step better. And, you know, you were joking about the Toastmasters thing. Can we talk about Toastmasters for a minute? Let's talk about Let, Toastmasters. Let's do it. So if you haven't heard of Toastmasters, which I, I know, I don't know if Chesapeake still has the clubs that they did back in the day when I was there. They had they three still. different clubs yeah. at one point. And we both know Verl Talbert. Shout out to Verl. Uh, Verl's one of the, the best Toastmasters that I've ever met because, yeah. you know, what makes a really good public speaker? Is it somebody that's polished and doesn't say um and uh and all that stuff? I think that's it's a good part of Toastmasters to be aware of what's coming out of your mouth, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is to be able to take the message that you have inside of you, mm. to take the things that you know, the things that you are good at, the things that you're passionate about, and it's to be able to communicate it in a way that the person sitting across from you or the audience sitting out in front of you understands what you're saying, can internalize your message, and then can actually do something with that message to either better their lives or to do some sort of function. Yeah. So I'm going to have an opportunity actually next month to speak in front of our group to, you know, how to deliver a, a 
stellar presentation and we're we're having a speaker series as a part of a recruitment effort yeah so i actually approached the vice president of it at our business um a few days ago said here's what we're doing can i invite our entire it organization to this because i really think this is something that folks would need to know about and so it's really taking the things that i know because i've been in it a long time now and there are people that are far better than i am i mean i've competed and won some championships but nice. I, I when i get in the presence of people that i know are just better communicators all i want to do is sit and listen because i want to know how to get better mm -hmm. but whole point being is how can i take these things that i know how can i communicate them in a way that is extremely effective so that the person receives my actual intention of my words mm. we live in a society today where people have forgotten that words have meanings and we degraded the english language to the point where and I, I get jargon and slang and all that stuff but when i tell you a specific thing you and i because we are both proficient in english should be able to understand the thing but then you've got to get to what do they mean behind it are they using the word in some sort of alternate way all this different stuff we've got to be able to purposely cut through all of that to say if i'm going to make a difference in your life or i'm going to communicate something through, if i'm just going to transact business with you yeah. then i need to be able to do it in clear effective terms toastmasters i really feel like if you practice their program it will help you do that i've seen just exponential returns in my career in my you know relationships and the ability just to convey what i'm thinking all of this right now is unscripted, so yeah. ho hopefully you're getting something clear and concise from I me. Am. I'm putting what I'm saying into practice. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the old stuff is still the good stuff. Oh, the, yeah. the, the simple words are still some of the best words, some of the most meaningful words, mm -hmm. right? And I agree. There's times that people will use these big words and like they just speak simply. Mm -hmm to well think about diets. think through history think of any speech that you know of think of martin luther king i have a dream mm -hmm. black men and white men boys and girls you know will all stand in harmony and, and sing the old spiritual song you know you're painting pictures with your words yeah you're building commonalities and i mean you can go to so many other speeches or things through history about you know that's not what you can do but what you can do for your country you know john f kennedy on back to the words of Jesus or whoever else, right? Right. And it's just things that we should be able, if we, again, understand the language that we speak, we should be able to read the same things and see, we should see the, the, the differences between something that's very plain and then something that was actually written so you have to discern the intent from it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that lawyers do this stuff all the day and they argue about um, or politicians say, well, what is the meaning of the word is? Anyhow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about Verl being an amazing Toastmaster speaker. Mm -hmm. And he says the same thing exactly about you. So my question is, how do you earn trust and respect? Consistency. Yeah, it goes back to what I said well ago. If I show up on time, all the time, I'm positive, I'm encouraging, and the other person really understands that I'm there to participate and to also make the group at large better. Um, you can always tell, like in the corporate world for sure, when you have people come in and you know they're, they're new to the group mm -hmm. and you look at them and go, 
yeah, you're not a team player. I can tell you're here for your own betterment. And I have a feeling it's not going to be as good as you want it to be because mm. if you've got the right team dynamics, people like that get outed in a hurry, right? Because yeah. you can tell who's out for themselves and who's not. So yeah. building trust is all about, you know, is the person standing next to me? And like I said, Verl, massive respect for Verl. Love that guy. Yeah. Awesome saxophone player as well. Oh, yeah. All right, so the podcast 100%. that you did with Verl, yeah. thank you for playing that. No. that he played Bruno Mars. That was such good stuff, yeah. man. <laughs> that was good stuff, man. That was really good stuff. I, and I like that, the, the consistency in anything that you do will either be super good or it can be super bad mm -hmm. if you're consistently horrible at communicating. I heard a pastor say one time, he goes, look, he goes, the things that people say about you are great tells about who you really are. Yeah. He goes, you know, if people say, hey, thanks for showing up on time, it really means you've got punctuality issues, right? Right. So it's not because they're trying to be nice to you. It's like, oh, wow, you actually made it here on time. Good. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for this podcast, we're scheduled at 7.30 in the morning, and I got a text from you, which I had a feeling you would text super early, and you were here like at, I got the text like at 6.58. Yeah. And I knew it. I was like, man, I knew he would be here early. There's a saying that they talk about, if you're five minutes early, you're already 15 minutes late. Yep. And so, man, you knocked that out of the ballpark. Well, on my personal commitments, I try my hardest to do this. Yeah. And my corporate commitments, because they schedule meetings right up to the hour, I don't get to practice as hard as I want to because mm -hmm. you're running from one meeting to the next. But Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You understand that. Yeah. Do you, when you go to these meetings and you have their stack back to back to back, so you probably have some sort of mental mindset prep. So you're in the moment for this presentation, obviously. Right. And then you got to quickly go across your campus or next room over and you got to present again. How do you mentally prep for these type of meetings to be in the moment? Yeah. Really, it's working hard at, at what you do and only speaking when you have something to add to the room. Um, I'm because there are things that I've done for lots of years, yeah. uh, platforms that I've worked in, mm -hmm. processes that I'm, you know, have tried to, to crawl into the inner workings of and really understand or people that I've, I've tried to meet. I mean, one of the things that I did at the new company that I went to right after I got there is I started showing up in people's doorways and saying, Hey, how's it going? Tell me about what you do and really trying to build a network of people. And unfortunately we had a layoff not long ago. And, and some of those people that I had built that rapport with are gone now. Yeah. And I'm having to go back in and, and try to seek that uh, same rapport with some new folks. Mm. But at the same time, it, it's this whole thing about if I can show up in your doorway and I can tell you, I'm trying to be good to you and you understand that I'm the work that I'm doing is to support you to make sure that you can do your job the best you can. And I can understand what that is because not only am I trying to support you, I'm also trying to build a framework for yeah. how the entire organization, the workflows work, how, you know, like I said, the data gets stored or how the information and all of that. So when I sit in meetings and I go, okay, I'm going to go back to the, what I understand and who the actual source of this information is. I'm going to quote them and say, I've worked with them. This is their process. This is what I know. Or if, if there's ambiguity mm -hmm. and I can ask the right question to help break free a bit of knowledge in the room. So it's not so much that you have to prepare for a lot of these things. If you are truly working on you know, being better at what you do, it's just really that active listening, making sure that you understand the question or 
being willing to say there is ambiguity in here and we need to clear this up or the business doesn't go forward because of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Active listening and the question and then also tag on to that is almost the question behind the question. Like, it's a good book, by the way. Yeah, it is a good book. You've read that book? I have. I picked that up at Goodwill for 85 cents, I think. I love cheap books, man. It's so me, good. <laughs> me too. Well, the old stuff is still the good stuff. Uh -huh. Simple words, beautiful yeah. meanings. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah, we talk about mindset. And in Toastmaster, I don't know, this part goes against Toastmasters. However, I'm going to go back to your cancer, <clears throat> excuse me, cancer treatments. Yep, yep. And you be honest. I want you to be honest. Your mindset is very positive. I love that I can feel the good energy. However, when you're going through chemotherapy, where there are days you're like, dude, this just absolutely sucks and it hurts. Well, of course there's days that it sucks and it hurts. Um, when I started uh, chemotherapy, I weighed 265 pounds. My last round, I weighed 226. So I lost 40 pounds in three months. Wow. And I mean, I could show you pictures. My, we had a picture taken my very last day of chemotherapy. My wife and son and I, the nurse took the photo for us because I was done, told them I was not coming back. And I had no hair. Uh, I looked emaciated. I looked about 30 years older. I mean, I looked like an old man. Wow. So, you know, it was, it was brutal. The last week of chemotherapy, um, okay, first off, let me rail on hospital food for a minute. That's it. Awful. Okay. And the people who bring food into a cancer ward do not bring tuna loaf. The smell of tuna when you are on chemotherapy is one of the nastiest things in the world. Okay. I'm going to get off that soapbox because yeah, it, was, it was bad. So literally I lived on naked juice and water for the last week. And that's all I had. And I don't recommend that either because I wasn't getting everything. I, oh, and some boost. I was getting some protein through some boost shakes. Okay. And um, but that's all my stomach could handle because it was just that bad. So it was it was horrible. Um, and then you know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this and say, even through the horrible, uh, I really feel like God put the people that could take care of me in the right spot. Mm -hmm. Because I ended up in an, an emergency room where they took care of me. They identified the problem. They got it where my kidney functioned again. Because um, literally they had to put a stent in to actually get my kidney opened up. Because oh, wow. it, was a, it was completely closed off. Yeah. It would have ruptured had I waited much longer. It was that bad. So I was in the right place. The doctors took care of me. Uh, got to the right oncologist who really took the time to explain to me what was going on. Ended up at a hospital where the nursing staff was amazing. Uh, one of the nurses uh, that, unfortunately, I'm forgetting her name, uh, sat on the side of my bed and just patted me on the back and a couple of nights because it was just it was just tough. Wow. And so through all of that, um, you know, it yeah, it was hard. So yeah, tough. Yeah. What was your uh, wife' house her? mindset i mean you couldn't you can't be in her brain but you could physically see her mindset uh she went into survival mode yeah and she was doing everything she could to keep the house together to to take care of me uh, mm -hmm. my dad actually came down and, and took would bring me down to my cancer treatments but 
the hospital we were at was 30 miles from the house. So she was having to drive an hour to get down to me. And I didn't want her staying at the hospital with me in that environment. So I sent her back, her and the boy back to the house every yeah. night. So they'd come see me for a little while every day. And there was a lot of sleeping. Um, but mm. anyway, she, I told people a long time ago that, I mean, she's not a very big person that she picked this big old man up on her shoulders and she carried me. And she did that in 0405. And man, I thought I had it rough back then. Yeah. I didn't have it rough at all. I mean, that, that cancer experience was so minor compared to what I went through this time. And, you know, wow. I find it very interesting because when you love somebody, when you devote yourself to somebody, when you honor your marriage vows, better or worse, rich or poor, all that stuff, and you see somebody living that out actively for you, mm -hmm. because we didn't know if I'd be here. We had the faith that I would be. We had the hope that all the things would go together like we wanted them to. But she very actively lived out our vows right mm -hmm. in front of me. She very ferociously took care of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know it was burdensome on her. And it has affected her health in a lot of ways too because it, it tore her down as well. Yeah. So any way that I can serve and love that beautiful woman, I will. Yeah. Because she's the best friend that I have ever had. Yeah. And without a doubt. Yeah. Do you feel like, because I don't know your own personal life, but did you have date nights prior to your cancer? And then now has it your date nights or your bond has become stronger? We have struggled to have date nights. Uh, so we spend time together as a family mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and love the boy we don't yeah. get enough time just her and i so we're actually trying to work on that right now um we will purposely you know go hide in our room sometimes just so we can talk to each other face to face yeah. and not get interrupted right um but as far as you know i'll tell you that i'll tell you the story of me and her okay um we both dated people before that um enough time and distance says that they weren't bad people that it was just not the right situation for any of us, right? Gotcha. Yeah. And actually, the lady that I had dated before has a, a husband, family, awesome people. We ended up actually being in the same Boy Scout troop with all of them. It was really weird, uh, but fantastic people. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad thing to say, um, but just not the right persons. But after going through all of that, being hurt, both of us, we met each other April Fool's Day, 1998. Wow. Uh, I had gone out to a church that I was going to uh, to meet the, the college minister was a friend of mine. I was going out to volunteer for something. We walked in the door and, uh, you know, he says, hey, I'd like to introduce you to Merxa. And so she was hi, And then she turned and talked to him because they knew each other and she, <laughs> she didn't know me. So it was like, well, OK, she's really pretty. And I just got snubbed. Awesome. Anyway, uh, so we moved, moved forward a month or so and we ended up on a repelling trip together. And so we're both going down the rappelling ropes at the same time. She looks over at me and says, race you down. I'm like, man, pretty chick wants to race me to the bottom. Nice. Okay. And uh, she beat me. That's okay. I, I'm man enough said, I used to say we tied, but you won. There you go. Said it in front of the whole world. <laughs> and so fast forward, uh, I was on a, a mission team uh, thing for a youth camp uh -huh. back in 1998. 
And so I was gone all summer long, but I'd come back in uh, on a weekend break or whatever. And we went to Colorado to do the Grand Rapids, or the river rafting down mm -hmm. the Royal Gorge. That's what it was, uh, Royal Gorge. And so we hung out on that trip together and we started talking on the bus ride out on that trip. And I don't think we've ever run out of conversation in 20 years. So obviously we get tired sometimes and it's not as flowing as other yeah, times, but sure. you know, we're, it's just, it was natural. It was so really from June of 98, um, till now, I mean, I, I met, I knew I'd met a friend that I wanted to be with then, yeah. but I actually proposed to her in September, three months after that, two months after that. Wow. So you knew. I did. And we got married in January right after that. So Man. people, people thought we were out of our minds or some people did and I still don't care. Um, <laughs> well, we actually had a, a few people who are like, you know, this isn't going to last. This is just not, you know, and like mm. two of them are actually divorced now Ouch. and I'm still going strong yeah. and no, no hate to them. But mm. when you know, and you're willing to make that commitment, I don't necessarily know that there's a bad time to go ahead and say, all right, let's do this. Yeah. So I proposed to her the day before my 20th birthday. It was amazing. Uh, she said, yes, that was even more amazing. Uh, the bad part was I didn't actually ask her dad. And to this day, I wish I had done that. I wish I'd gone to her house. So I asked her to marry me and then we drove over and she walks in and goes, mom, dad, we want to get married. And I'm like, okay, look, I don't have a job. I'm gonna get a job. I know that's really important. Yeah. And I'm gonna love her and I'm gonna take care of her. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, my my uh, mother and father in law are two of the most wonderful people I know. They accepted yeah. me with open arms. Absolutely. They they actually fed me for like three months before we got married. And then I got my first full time job uh, two weeks uh, before we got married. I was a junior in college. Wow. And so it all worked out like it was supposed to. It was fantastic. So. Yeah. But, you know, building on that foundation, back to our question from a while ago, you know, we've got all those years of being together. Uh, we were married for almost 10 years before we had kids. So uh, I used to joke people and say, my son's really never going to get anything by us because my wife and I know each other really, really well. And I can yeah. look at him and go, your mama didn't say that. <laughs> I know she didn't say that. <laughs> Or if she did, that ain't what she meant. Right, so. right. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. That is awesome, man. You, you threw out a key date, so you talk about April Fool's Day. In 2006, April Fool's Day was my first day at Chesapeake. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It would be 13 years, man. Yeah. And still going strong. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm going to do my best and not worry about the future because I can't control that. Yeah. You talked about being data management and how you geeked out about it and you're excited about your job. Mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. It's important. It's important in any job. It's important in 2019 more because of all, you got social media, you have the news, you have politics, you have religion, everything's getting thrown mm -hmm. at you. And there's certain stressors in the world. Right. Obviously, you've been through in insane stress and just your attitude, carrying that into work, right, helps a lot of people. I believe. I wish you were still at Chesapeake. I feel like we need more of David's no, thank around. You. Appreciate them. Completely honest. Yeah, appreciate them. When I go to the gym, I work out with Verl. Dude brings me up. Yeah, love it. Right. I when I worked with Colt for uh, for a while, he brought me up. 
Shout out to Colt. Colt Kinnemer, also known as Coach Kinnemer. Yeah, Coach. <laughs> I've never called him Coach because I knew him when he was in college, so yeah. I knew him before he was a coach. Yeah. And then also, you you talk about Bernie Mac and his uh, tragic passing. I remember where I was. I was in New Jersey, and I was going on a run. I ran by a gas station, and I saw the breaking news, yeah. and it, it it actually broke broke me down for a minute because I was a huge yeah. and still am a huge Bernie Mac fan. Right. So yeah, going to current day for Mr. Willis, mm-hmm. do you have some morning habits that you have to do or else you don't feel accomplished? Uh, getting out of bed is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, generally I'm not a morning person, uh, generally, or I yeah. wasn't 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed sleeping in at one point in my life and I was joking with somebody at work the other day because she said, yeah, I slept in and I said, how late did you sleep in? Cause I was joking her about how she didn't get some stuff done. We went to a farmer's market, uh, in North, uh, D- in North DFW the other day and we were out there probably at nine o'clock before it got really hot and got or nine, yeah. nine thirty something. And this lady I was talking to, she says, 10, I'm like, Oh, but 10 o'clock, I mean, I've already, even if I've slept in, I've already been up for three and a half hours, right? Yeah. Because that's usually 6 or 6.30. So, yeah. But morning, I mean, morning habits as they go, I need to get out. I need to get up timely. I need to get out and I read my Bible every morning. Um, I make sure that I, I get out for a walk. Uh, in the last couple of months, I've been out every day but two days. I've at least been out for half an hour for a walk. Um, so I'm now that... Like I said, now the health's coming back around. I'm really trying to get back. Um, so between walking and yoga, um, yeah. so I do Diamond Dallas Page's yoga program. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've looked at that one. He calls it, uh, I don't think he calls it dude yoga, but it, it's not. Okay, look, I'm going to rail on something for a second, yeah. okay? <laughs> I appreciate yoga instructors very much, okay? Yeah. But I'm a happily married 40-year-old man. I do not need to be in a class with a yoga instructor and a pair of spandex. Just don't need to do it. So a dude who's in his 60s teaching me yoga is much better because still a guy, you're very attractive, don't need to look at you in that. Mm. So I want to honor my wife in that way. So I got you. Uh, so I found a yoga program that I actually liked, and we do that. And then I want to be into work by 6.45, 7 o'clock and get in and get my my day kind of outlined because if I don't sit down with a to-do list early in the day and kind of give myself targets of what I want to get to throughout the day, a whole week's gone by and we've got projects that we don't have progress on, or I've got people saying, Hey, you haven't answered this. So those first three or four hours of a day are extremely important Mm. just because if you can, in the quiet moments, if you can get stuff done and grind things out there, and I'm still not as good at it as I want to be. Yeah. I mean, even like I'm actually speaking at Toastmasters later today. Nice. I have not prepared my speech yet. I've given the same speech before, but I've not actually done any prep for today. So I need to sit down in about 15 minutes. I need to kind of go through my outline again, make sure I've got mm-hmm. my key points. I've done this for long enough now that I can get up in front of a room and not a whole lot of people are going to know that I'm underprepared. Uh, right. But, you know, we're because we went through a reorg at work where we lost about 650 people, I think. Yeah, it was it was pretty big. And it's the only one that my company's done in 20 years, though. So and they've said that they they do not intend another layoff at all. I mean, that they, they wanted to do it all in one you know, very precise swoop. But that being yeah. said, a lot of people's responsibilities got 
offloaded onto those of us that remain. For sure. So, you know, not enough time has been there to get some of this stuff done. But notwithstanding, if I don't get those things done in the morning, don't really plan for those really commitments that I have during the day, my whole week is shot. Wow. Man, do you feel like when you go and do these, the same presentation you've done it multiple times, does it change each time or is there? It something? can because, again, I'm going to go for relatability to your audience. I'm yeah. going to go for authenticity over uh, crisp performance almost every time. Yeah. When you're in a Toastmasters is unique because a lot of folks will get in that they don't speak English very well and they want to get better because they're not from the United States and they've mm. come over mm -hmm. or because you know, Toastmasters is worldwide and it's not just the United States, right. but, you know, or they just want to get better at being able to, to really articulate what it is they want to say. Some people get in because they're extremely good presenters and they want to do it competitively. Yeah. And I've done the competitive side and... I'm one of you want another dream. One of these days, I would love to to be the Toastmasters champion. Uh, that takes a lot, and yeah. I, so I've got to gear up and actually take myself to the next level there for that. Because there's there's things I've not even even gotten to yet that I need to be able to do before I can go there. But that being said, when you know your message, when you know your audience. Mm -hmm. You can get up in front of a room and we can have a conversation just like this, whether it's three people or a thousand people. Yeah. And if I'm relatable on, on this way, even without having somebody speaking back to me, yeah. I can still hit somebody's ears in a friendly, pleasant way where they go, yeah, I know where that guy's at. I know what he's saying. So speech I'm actually giving today is about the unexpected things that uh, I found out about being a dad, right? And then I go through a few things that I just, before I had a son... Never would have expected. Didn't think I'd ever get to play video games again. I get to play, <laughs> I get, so we play Mario together. And yeah, I'm, I'm a mean dad. I do not let him play anything that is is offensive or violent. So we stick to Mario. We stick to Monopoly. You know, these kind of things. But we get to play video games. Um, another thing that I, I learned is I, I don't get grossed out like I used to. Uh, any parent out there knows that um, kids do things that are just vile. And you have to clean up after them, and it's amazing. But the other unexpected things are those quiet moments. I've walked into his room in the middle of the night and put my hand down on his chest just to feel him breathe, mm. thinking that he was asleep. And the first thing he does is turn over, smile at me, and tell me he loved me. And you're like, I have no words. It's just amazing. You know? yeah. So there are, there are just things that we can't forecast or understand that are so much better than we could have ever hoped for. And having a son... So it's just that he's, yeah. he's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So you guys play Mario Brothers. Is that your favorite game together? Uh, right now, honestly, it's probably Monopoly. There is a, wow. uh, there's a, it's actually on the Wii. There's a version of Monopoly that's kind of in 3D or whatever where they yeah. run around the board and um, he is ridiculously competitive. So I, he threatens me with, with butt weapons all the time on stuff. And I, I love getting talked smack by. You know, an 11 year old. It's really funny though. Yeah. When he started playing Mario Kart with me years ago uh, and started beating me, and I'm like, man, a seven year old's beating me. I know how to drive. You don't. How are yeah. you beating me? Yeah. And well, he did. So what do you do? <laughs> but it's great. <laughs> but it's us. Yeah. I'm not going to go. Anyway, you're going to say. <laughs> well, you said you're, you're 40. So did you have the Atari back in the day? 
Oh, dude, man. We had a, I had the Atari. I had a friend that would come over and he'd, you know, remember the old joysticks? And yeah, the button, sure. right? Broke my joysticks because he'd get so into the game. So yeah. I used to have to go and steal my mom's Tupperware lids to go pull the Atari controllers apart. Actually, you could cut out a template in the same shape as the yeah. plastic pieces and the contacts inside of it. Put that Tupperware back over the top and your Atari controllers would still work. So, yeah, we did that. That's awesome. Uh, I was, I think I got my first Nintendo in 1988. And so, you know, funnily enough, it, do you remember when you had to like, you had to take it down, pop it down and slide like yep. a card in it to do yep. that thing? Yeah. After that stopped working, that was back in the day when Walmart would still take stuff back like four <laughs> or five years later. So I took it back, got 80 bucks for it. So I felt like I got the better end of that deal. We're going to go back to that whole ethical <laughs> thing. <laughs> not stuff I do today, but uh, my mom probably shouldn't let me do that one. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Atari, the only thing that I didn't like about the Atari is it didn't have a pause button. Cause, True. Because I was playing Centipede, and I was getting to these next levels, and my mom's like, it's time for dinner. I was like, hey, I, I'm almost done. She's like, it is time for dinner. And so I was like, <laughs> so I guess I said yeah. the dinner table, and I could hear in the background how I'm like, yep, 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 yep. I'm dying, mom, I'm dying, I gotta get back. No, you're going to finish it yep. with us. Have yeah. you ever actually uh, called in or had stayed home sick from school because you wanted to beat a game? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Dude, come on. Let's uh, be honest. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And my mom knew that if I didn't want to go to school, yeah. that it was because I needed a break. It wasn't because I felt bad. Yeah. And she was actually good to me and, and would let me stay home yeah. just random times. I probably did it three or four times my whole school career. It wasn't much. Yeah. And this one time I just wanted to stay home because I was playing um, Bionic Commando or something on the Nintendo. Some random game you probably never heard of, but beat it. It's fun. So. I've heard of Commando, but not Bionic Commando. Oh, man. So. It's old school. I've actually got it at home. I've got the original NES at the house. Wow. And I haven't pulled it out in years. Bought it at a You're dialing so. it back, man. I am. Yeah, you're talking about 1988. That's the year my wife was born. So. All right. <laughs> yeah. She just so. turned 31. Shout out. 40, so. Well, about to be 40. So. Very good, dude. Yeah, man. What are a couple questions that you wish people would ask you, but no one ever asked? couple questions I wish people would ask me that nobody ever asks. You know, I think it was Marilee that said, how are you? I liked that one. You know, having real contacts with people during the day yeah. is, is a real big one. Yeah. And, you know, just how are you doing and letting people out, getting people to let me actually answer or, you know, that's really probably it. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a pretty open guy, so I, there's not a whole lot that, that I don't just get asked. You know, I try to, I try to be as honest as I can be with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, yeah, but not much. Yeah. Well, you seem really laid back and pretty mellow, man. Does anything ever tick you off? Uh, Dallas traffic does a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, when it's it's in consideration, rude people, mm. you know, that kind of thing. And I know that's kind of probably a common thing. But people also not res accepting responsibility for their own actions and then trying to blame other people for it. We'll yeah. go with that one this time. Because working in a role where uh, I see, you can see the effect of one person's work and what it does to somebody else. And you go in and you try to educate and you try to, to correct and you try to say, this is what needs to be done. Yeah. And please do it right. 
and they don't care or they're myopic in their view of what where their work goes and they don't really realize that there's a greater thing here that we really are all connected Mm -hmm. whether it's in life or business or whatever else uh the butterfly effect is very very real Mm. and the things that i do every day whether i realize it or not affect other people and if the result of that effect is somebody else's pain or discomfort yeah. and I show indifference to that, then I've got a problem. Yeah. And, you know, so I would say that that, that ticks me off. Now I say that because it happens in my data management job all the time mm-hmm. where we have to do a root cause analysis to understand why something's not working the way it is. And it really comes down to a busted process or a busted set of instructions that somebody's following. Not that it's busted. That doesn't bother me. But if there's indifference behind the people that actually own the thing, I have a problem with that. Yeah. 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 Ownership. Ownership. Yeah. Responsibility. And yeah. do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I know. Well, and, you know, I don't know. That's saying yeah, you yeah, personally yeah. know him. I, you know, Gary V. Uh, I don't recommend if you have sensitive ears that you listen to this guy because he likes to cuss a lot. Yeah. But he rails on the fact of if you want it, go get it. If you want to do it, you want to be it, then you've got to grind it out and actually make it happen. And that your trajectory in life really is largely affected by how hard and how much effort you put into something. And, you know, I'm not looking at anything anybody else has and saying, I want that. I'm looking at, God, how did you make me? What do you want me to do? Mm. Can I set my sights on that and then grind it out until I'm done and take responsibility for my own actions and, you know, there are things I've done in my past I'm not proud of, right. but can I actually own them, not be afraid of them, use them as tools to help other people? And, you know, some of the stuff in my past, I'm not willing to do that with yet. And I'm hoping one yeah. of the day I get there with, right? Yeah. But the fact, I'll give you a perfect example. The other day, I actually reached out to a guy on Facebook and he's a guy that we were on, kind of on and off in high school. We were friends, but I was a real jerk to him. Yeah. And I realized that I was a real jerk to him. And I'm like, I've never told this guy I'm sorry. So he'd posted something on. He got He's in a new career. Really happy for him. And I just sent him a note and said, dude, I want you to know. Super happy for you. I actually used to do something very similar to what you're doing now. I think you're really going to enjoy this. You're going to be really good at it. But I also want you to know, I'm truly sorry for the way I treated you sometimes in high school. Because we called ourselves friends, but I was a real jerk. And yeah. he writes me back and he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. We were both moody teenage boys. I'm sure, I'm sure it's in the past. Don't worry about it. Right. But it's that being able to take that, admit that I was wrong, take yeah. responsibility for what I've done and then really try to make, make better of it. Because at the end of the day, I don't know how long I have here. Yeah. I could go out and get hit by a bus today. Right. As I walk out of the, the room that we're in. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to actively proactively try to make those better choices, try to grind it out, try to have that thing out in front of me that says, this is the person that I want to be, not be willing or not be unwilling to let that be changed over time. The only constant is change, right? So be willing to be in a different job, maybe at some point in the future, be willing to, to adapt and to grow. And, you know, at the end of this thing, if I get to make it, you know, to my 70th wedding anniversary, like I want to here in 50 years, yeah, uh, you know, and I, I honestly, I think that's a good goal. Everybody should have it. Uh, am I going to be the person that I could have been? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that that really, that really does kind of drive me. 
it drives me more now that I've been through cancer twice because the brevity of life is a whole lot more real. Yeah. Uh, nothing is certain. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. I love it. Ownership from you and your friends like, hey, dude, we were young, man. Yeah. But bygones be bygones. Yeah, he gave me grace. It was cool. That That is awesome. Right. Because yeah. there's a lot of people that would probably hold the grudge like, oh, I remember when you didn't share your math book with me. Whatever. Mm, it was worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm sure it was. We won't get into that, man. But yeah. If there are three people that you can meet in person or talk to on the phone, uh, three people. I'd like to meet Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, I think it'd be really cool. I that whole thing about being just incredibly real. Mm. So being able to to leverage who you are and what you are and do better with it. Um, there's a guy named Donald Miller. Do you know who Donald Miller is? Mm-mm. Donald Miller. Uh, he wrote a book years ago called Blue Like Jazz. Uh, it was a uh, bunch of essays about his Christian life, but he ended yeah. up writing one. He went ended up going through a study uh, of filmmaking and about how to tell a better story and, you know, using the, the, the principles of filmmaking mm. and applying it to your life and how to actually tell a better story with your life. He's actually got a business called uh, Story Brand today, helping businesses actually tell a better story uh, with their business. Uh, and it's it's an amazing book. Um, so I've actually got it in my backpack right now. What's the name of the book? It's called Again. Building or Building a Story Brand. Right. And that book. Well, hold on a second, because I'm glad you said that because I actually brought it for you. Oh my goodness! And thank you. That's my copy of it, so it's it's bookmarked. But don't worry about it. I, I love it. It's behind you somewhere. It's I think it's still attached. There it is. Yeah. Nice shoes, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you're watching this YouTube video, I sincerely apologize because you just saw a part of me you didn't need to see. <laughs> but and the third person that I, I would want to meet face to face, um hmm, alive. I have no idea. We'll go with those two for right yeah. now. I mean, there, there, there's plenty of others. Yeah. I mean, people that are motivational, inspiring people that I can look at their work and go, you've made a difference in my life. I mean, what do you do? It's good stuff. This one, I, love it. I mean, yeah, look through it. It's extremely good. Man, thank you so much. This is awesome. My pleasure. By the way, here's our gift. Thank you. You. I will wear it proudly. Yeah, yeah. This book, what have you learned from this book? Well, crafting your message is extremely important. The way you tell it, uh, the way that you can grab people's attention with a story. Mm-hmm. You, know, you told me that I was conversational. You told me that I'm kind of relaxed, a little bit mellow. Um, how, how our body language is, how we present ourselves, yeah. how we can draw people in, it's all part of the communication process, right? right. But in business... What you're really trying to do, say, with your Defining Moments podcast is you're looking at people and you're saying either the moment defines you or you define the moment. Mm-hmm. But see, that's not the where it ends. It's what you right. do next with that definition and how you apply it to your life. That's where real change and transformation happens, right? Yeah. So being able to clarify that message so other people hear it and go, these are just normal people that we're listening to. This is just everyday stuff. 
but there is magic in everyday stuff that exactly. makes me go, wow. Right. And it's that ability to transact our stories person to person to be able to take the experiences in our life and help somebody else with it. So what I really learned from this is as you start publishing that message out to other people, as you try to build kind of this body of work that yeah. people can look at and go, who is Wong really? What is his mission? What is the thing that he's trying to accomplish? And then how can I, you know, how can you make that even bigger? Be able to hook people in, be able to draw even a bigger audience. Because yeah. I'm going to look at you and say the same thing. I, I would love to be able to help spread your message too, because I think what you're doing is fantastic. Because I appreciate it. You're, you're taking in, you're, you're humanizing and you're, you're really working with people to say, no, 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 your message is valuable. Yeah. The things that you do every day are, are big. You don't know it, but you may have been a defining moment for somebody else mm. and help somebody else do X, Y, and Z, right? I was a youth yeah. pastor back in the day. Yeah. And so I look back at any of those kids and wonder, did I actually say something to them? Did I do something for mm. them that is doing something today that I know nothing about? I, yeah. pr I pray that it is. And I keep up with some of them on Facebook and, and I think some of them are doing good and it's not because of me, but if I got to be any part of that story at all, yeah. then it's amazing. So, but yeah. anyway, yeah, I was thinking about it last night actually and thought I need to bring that to you. If it comes up in conversation, I'm going to give it to you. So there it is. Man, I love it. Thank you so much. I, I love reading books and just trying to be, become better, uh, use active listening yeah, and just being real and being simple. Yeah. And the message and just what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, man. You're talking about being a youth pastor. Those are important. That's a very important platform. It is. You have. It really is. I think it's even, I think it's more important today, but I think it's important yeah. in different ways because back in the day, you know, you, you'd go hang out with your youth pastor for a little while and then you'd go back home to your parents and everything was okay, right? Uh, and most of the time when we were kids, you went back to mom and dad both, right? And the more we've gone on, the kids that I had even 20 years ago in my youth group um, were a bunch of latchkey kids that they, I ended up having to go get them to bring them to church. Mm. We'd run the, the church van around South Oklahoma City. Yeah. So um, I was right there at Exchange and Penn uh, yeah. there in, uh, right down in the stockyards, right? Yeah. And um, we'd run that church van around and, and pick kids up. And it just, I think, and I, I'm not, my finger's not on the pulse of where kids are today, but I know that if they were that disconnected back then, I can only imagine they're probably even more disconnected today. So the role of a youth pastor now really is rallying a group of adults mm -hmm. that are willing to look after and care for because when you, it's, it's a job that is hard to scale because yeah. your, your time and attention is not something that you can give to more than really five or six kids yeah. at any one time, unless you're on a stage, but, you know, and being able to communicate with them, build. So really finding a, a network of adults in your church that will work with you to help broadcast, you know, a consistent message to these kids of we love you. We want to help you. Mm. We're here to support you. And then also building back in with their parents to say, hey, are things going well? How can we actually enable you to even be a better parent? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And those are things as a 22-year-old guy, I couldn't articulate as well as I can now. Yeah. But I also realized that that's not where my strengths lied back then. Yeah. And it's 
you know, I'll gladly volunteer as my son gets up into the youth group to do stuff with them. I have no desire to be the, the leader. I yeah. joke with people all the time, say I'm not a youth pastor anymore because I figured out I don't like teenagers. Uh, teenagers are great. 60, 70, 100 of them at a time by mm. myself. Because without that network of people, it's overwhelming. You, you feel like you're entertaining. And so you've got to be very, very purposeful that you're building a community, yep. that you're leveraging the, the strength of a community to educate and to nurture. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it's, it's a very, very different game. I wish looking back, you know, I don't have any necessarily regrets about that, but had I known what I'd known today, I would have been better at it. Yeah. Yeah. You, t- you talk about not wanting to be a youth pastor for teenage um, boys or girls. I, I feel that you don't have to have the title to be that leader. I no. feel like that's you. I feel like you're that leader without having that title. You know, uh, what was it? Um, there's actually a book, you know, you be a leader without, you don't need a title to be a leader. That's actually oh. the title of the book. Oh, okay. And it's one of the CEOs that I'm forgetting his name. He's an older guy. And, but I was actually talking to my manager at work about this the other day about promotion processes and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was complimenting me on the fact that she does see these leadership things from me and that she wants me to even focus in more on them. And the fact of in a, in a corporate world or in business or in organizations, right? It's, can we clarify the mission of the organization? Do we know what the organization is there for? And obviously, mm-hmm. we both work oil and gas jobs. So um, I hope that uh, the message is not just providing shareholder value. I really hope that the message is how can we be a good corporate steward of our resources? How can we good, be good to our employees? How can we make uh, impressive returns to our shareholders without basically having to corrupt those other things to do it? Yeah. And that we've got this entire message to do. That being said, if we're all buying into that very same thing that we're being good stewards of what we have, then you break it down into the actual processes of what we do during the day. And we can say, these are the ways that we affect. That's when your leadership becomes a whole lot more apparent Mm -hmm. because you can look across the organization and say, I have these strengths, whether or not anybody tells me to, I'm going to start trying to work on these things because I know that they align with the goals I have for my department, with my organization, and they will accomplish being a good steward being good to people and actually taking care of our shareholders as well. And so whether you're publicly owned or not, I mean, I talked to a guy that was in a, a oil and gas company that is not publicly owned. You're still doing the very same thing yeah. because you're trying to, you're trying not to cost the person that actually owns the company money because the more that you can actually leverage um, and make the company money, mm-hmm. if that person is an honorable leader, they will actually reward the people that have done that They'll yeah. get to put some money in their pockets. They'll put more money in the pockets of the people that work for them. And it's this cycle that we can work through. And it all starts with what I choose to do in my list in the morning, making sure that I'm working on the priorities that are highest can affect the business in the best way yeah. and actually kind of move us forward from there. Yeah. I love that, man. Maybe you can give me some coaching advice because what I do is you know, I, I work in this group of 10 people and my I've heard – I've been told, hey, you need to put your name on all these projects that, that you, you built that are amazing. Mm-hmm. My thought is, you know, I, I bring my colleagues into my office and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Right. We are doing. Or I'll go into their office, I'll coach them through certain things or right. 
get their advice. And most of the time, a lot of times they're actually teaching me, right. you know, while I'm in their office. So very nice. it's, yeah, it, it's tough to, for me just to be like, oh, well, look what I've built. Yeah. You know, and, and in the corporate world, sometimes that can be. Well, it goes um, to the heart of my last question, right? What's our goal? Yeah. If your goal is honestly to climb the corporate ladder, right. then sure, put your name on it. Yeah. yeah. But if your goal is to grow into your role to be that irreplaceable resource that people have to have, mm. how do you build security? Your ability to produce. I think Douglas MacArthur said that, right? Yeah. Said yeah. one's ability to produce is the only security that we have. So in a world of mergers and acquisitions, in a world where stock, basically people have left the energy sector, large investment firms are, are down on the thing right now. You know, how can we actually provide security for ourselves to the best of our abilities? It's by building that network of people that know mm -hmm. that whether your name's on it or not, they have to have you or the group goes down, mm -hmm. right? Not be, and that, but on top of that though, because you're enabling them to be even better. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I like my name to be on stuff with other folks just like you. Yeah. Right. Because we did this as a team because really the team gets better as the leader gets better mm. and the leader gets better as the team gets better. And it, it really is this another person I'd actually like to spend time with. My third person is Craig Rochelle. He's the oh, there you go. pastor of life church. Yeah. And it's not to talk to him about, um, you know, our faith necessarily. He has a leadership podcast. Mm -hmm. If you have not listened to it, it is amazing. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, he, his tagline at the end of his podcast every time is when the leader gets better, the whole organization gets better. And so as you build yourself as a leader, as you work on just being that transparent, um, you know, re relational, educated, really trying to sharpen yourself for the benefit of others. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that gets lost is if you have your manager saying that they want you to put your stuff name on stuff a little bit more and take more ownership of stuff. That's one thing. If it's other folks saying, well, hey, man, you, you just need to prop yourself up more. Eh, it's a completely different game. Yeah. I, I don't want to get lost in the having to stake my claim. You know, right. My work needs to speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. <laughs> Speaking of books and people that you want to meet, in the season of life you're in right now, what movie or what scene from a movie or maybe a chapter from a book best portrays David Willis right now, his life? Best portrays my life right now. Hmm. Man, that, that's a good one. I don't know why Forrest Gump's the first thing. Never, no, not Forrest Gump. Uh, <laughs> let's go with let's go with what is if I found most inspiring lately. Okay, and we're gonna go back to this thing of community. Have you seen Avengers Endgame? No, I haven't. Okay, am, am I gonna be spoiling anything no. for you? Okay, right on. So I'm a huge superhero guy, right? Okay. I read comics when I was a kid. So they build this 22 movie arc of, of things, right? And the last 10 minutes battle scene of Avengers Endgame, it's a three hour movie. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad in the middle of this movie, wouldn't do it, you know, ended up having to go at like an hour and 40 minutes, didn't, but anyway, that's beside the point. And, but you get to the last 10 minutes of this thing and one of the main characters has the main bad guy right in front of them. The whole bad guy's army's all behind them, and he thinks he's all alone. Mm. And then all of the heroes show up by his side because he's that leader. He's that person that they're willing to go into battle with. But he built that 
through 22 movies of being that character guy that stood up, did the right thing, yeah. united the team, you know, and obviously there's a lot more story to it there. But then the look on his face when he turns back around and he sees the army arrive behind him and he's not alone because last year, aside from my wife and my friends, obviously, there are moments when you're laying in a hospital bed and you feel just alone because you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if you're going to be able to stand up to the thing that's in front of you. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to be able to make it. And then you hear those words of life and you realize you've got people on your side yeah. and you realize that you're going to, you're going to keep gaining momentum on this thing. Yeah. And you know, through all of the ups and all of the down, the community of people, um, the, the people that have reached out to me on Facebook, the people that I know are praying for me, the people that have taken care of me, um, back my wife, my mom and dad, uh, my son, uh, Colt and Mariah are yeah. just, it's been amazing. Yeah. So, you know, now that everything's coming back around there, there is a battle to fight there. There is purpose to have with the time that I have. And like I said, I hope that time, I mean, like I said, 15 months cancer-free right now. Um, yeah. People call it remission. Uh, I'm cancer-free right now. Um, but, you know, I know that I have I have things to do. And, again, that's taking care of my family. That's taking care of, of the responsibilities that I have. And that's being as good to people as I can be. Man. I love it. Wow. Your definition of culture is bringing consistency, which means habits. And I feel like that right there, you're talking about the, the Avengers Endgame, the consistency of that leader has built this culture. So he's got this following. Mm -hmm. And it's like you built this culture at, at home and do consistency and habits. And then you've got a strong family, parents, friends. So you've got this following. So you're... I'm with them. I think I'm following them too. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a two-way street. Yeah, it is. And, you know, now we actually, we started not long ago at a church out in our community. And um, strangely enough, it's it's been historically hard. You know, being this real with people yeah. is, is difficult, right? Yeah. And now I'm to the point in my life where I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to be real. Love you know, that. and I, I want I want to have closer friendships, and mm -hmm. like I said, the friendships that I have, I feel are amazing. Uh, right. I love them, but even even on top of that, I want to be able to to reach out to other people and be able to to do that too. So we're trying to get more involved at our church. Yeah, um, I volunteered actually with our community to to help out, you know, with some stuff in the community as mm -hmm. well, and things that I've been, you know, I've been trying to work on my career, head down, trying to do some things. I'm trying to actually pull my head up a little bit and see where I can help influence other things as well, yeah. things I can get involved in. And if I get the credit for it, great. If I don't, okay. If things get better, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you head up to Oklahoma City and you meet up with uh, Coach Kinnamer and Mrs. Kinnamer. They'll actually be at my house tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah, they're coming down. Oh, tomorrow? Yeah. Man, I might have to head over and hang out with you guys for a minute. <laughs> uh, they'll be over uh, tomorrow evening. They're coming over after work. So how fun is that? Yeah, they come down. We actually, like I said, uh, we've all been friends since '99. Um, yeah, and 
Colt actually okay. saw Mariah for the first time at my wife and I's wedding, uh, January 9th of 99. Mm. And he was like, dude, who is she? She's hot. Yeah. And <laughs> I could actually hear him yeah, saying that. Yeah. And he did. <laughs> and it's, what's really funny is she had blonde hair at the time. Oh, really? And, and Mariah's, I, I've not ever really known her with blonde hair. So she went back, she's a brunette. Yeah, right. And, you know, she said she's never going blonde again. But for some reason, she's like, who was that hot blonde at your wedding? And I'm like, we have no idea who you're talking about. That's My wife and Mariah actually went to high school together. Okay. Uh, they didn't, I mean, they knew each other, but they, yeah. they weren't close, but you know, yeah. they're very good friends now, which is good. And so we actually used to have dinner with them every Friday night, uh, that awesome. kind of thing. Now, you know, they'll come down and stay a couple of days with us. We'll go up and stay a couple of days with them and just, um, awesome. their kids call us uncle and aunt. And yeah. Boy calls them uncle and aunt. So it's pretty cool. That's cool, man. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? I, by the way, I treat people. I want people to know that I loved them, that I cared for them, that I made a difference in their life. And I want uh, to be remembered as the best husband to my wife that I could be, as the dad that my son needed me to be, as the son that my parents are proud of. And that one of these days, believing I'm going to stand in front of God, I want to look, to look at me and say, well done. There oh, you go. man. Two more questions for you. Hit it. First one, how do people get in touch with you no cell numbers, just be on email, Instagram. I, I've actually got I've actually got a blog, davidwillis.tv. Okay. Uh, so feel free to, to do that. If you want to hit me at david at davidwillis.tv, uh, that's fine too. Um, and I actually think my Instagram is davidwillis.tv as well. Okay. So there's not a whole lot on it at this point, but I'll get better about that. Yeah. Uh, you'll go to my blog and realize that it says, uh, I think the tagline I have on my, li my blog is life music me. So right. I, I'm kind of a wannabe songwriter a little bit. So I play the guitar and sing some stuff I've written and I've given updates on cancer and then there's some older stuff on there where, you know, I was writing a little bit more. So yeah. I'm going to get better at that, but I need to, I've given, this is, this is crazy. I've probably given 150 to 200 Toastmaster speeches. Yeah. I've like three of them recorded. Wow. Yeah, I know. I've you got all kinds often, of content man. that I've just, you know, away. But yeah. uh, all the stories are still in there, so we can come back up with them again. But um, so, yeah, that's that's it. So if you if you yeah. want to talk to me, if I can be a help to you in any way, um, understand that, you know, I'm, I mean it. If you, if you need something from me, I don't got a lot of money, but if I've got <laughs> things that I can share with you or anything like that, I'd love to. Yeah, right on. Well... David Willis, do you approve this podcast? I approve. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. Thank Thanks you so much, me. man. My pleasure. That was really I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. <laughs>